0: Welcome to Unboxed. I'm your host, Connie Nam, the founder of Astrid and Mew. In these conversations, I speak to the founders of some of the most innovative, bold, and exciting businesses to discover the person behind the brand and what it took for them to build their empires. My guest today is the founder and creative director of Neom Organics, Nicola Elliott. Nicola shows the power of being a self-aware founder who's always trying to improve and the impact of making company culture a number 1 priority. Nicola has also proved that sometimes success can come from a foundation of optimism and determination. Hi Nicola, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Oh, welcome to my studio. Thank you I'm for being my your guest. I'm loving studio. I'm <laughs> loving it. How oh, very Astrodomeo. It it looks It is. Beautiful. Yeah, thank you so much. Let's go straight into the questions. So tell me about
1: yourself and Neom and the whole inspiration. Oh my gosh, well, I could do this story in 30 seconds or 30 minutes. So I'll sort of I'll go for 2 minutes. So obviously Neom I said obviously I'm hoping that you know Neom is a well-being brand or actually the number one well-being brand in the UK. And we exist to help with sleep, de-stress, boosting your energy, lifting your mood. That's how we define well-being because it's a big word and um, I think sometimes people don't really know what it means. So I think a lot of our success actually has been defining it in a very clear kind of easy way. So I'm the founder of um a Wellbeing brand, and um, we've been going for 17 years now um, we are predominantly in the UK, but uh, we've launched in the US now, so that's my new sort of uh, area of focus. And uh, we have stores, seven stores. We are also in um, John Lewis, Selfridges, Harrods, Liberty, department stores, um, and then we sell a lot online. And we're all about 100% natural fragrances, so, um, you know, candles, bath foams, um, Pillar mists that are really going to kind of boost your well-being in those small moments.
0: Yeah, I love how you're defining them in four different pillars.
1: Because yeah. it's so, like, wellness is such a big word, isn't it? It's such a big word. And I think that is what puts people off, probably. And also um, how it's become sort of something that you think is the domain of very evangelist sort of living yeah. women in, you know, size eight yoga pants. Yeah, we normally think about Gwyneth
0: Paltrow and Goop exactly, when we say wellness. Exactly. And it's you know, unapproachable anti- for a
1: lot of people. Absolutely. And, you know, listen, I'm not anti that. I'd love to be someone who wants to get up, is able to get up at five in the morning and do yoga on the beach with a, a green smoothie. Um, but I'm not. So I think we are very much about sort of democratizing well-being. And it being about something that everyone can get involved in. You know, a bath that's going to work a bit harder, a pillow mist that you're going to use on you and partner and children, a candle that isn't just something that smells nice for a dinner party, but is really going to help create a kind of calm zone. And so that's what I've always felt was the bigger mission at Neon, was to bring those moments of well-being.
0: Yeah, I love the inclusivity in the brand.
1: Yeah, I think that kind of comes naturally from our northern roots, actually.
0: I think. Yeah. So tell me about yourself, Nicola Elliott, not as the founder of Neon, but
1: as a person. As me. So um, I was a journalist for eight years. All I ever wanted to do was work in magazines. And I worked on glossy magazines for eight brilliant but crazy hectic years. So Glamour, InStyle, Marie Claire, Heat. And I did celebrity uh, journalism, so covers. So I was flying London, New York, L.A. Uh, it was It was crazy and loads of crazy celebrity stories, which I can't tell you on the podcast. We'll tell you some (laughs) other time. Loads of mad stuff. But life was mad and and I think I was just shoving too much in and um, I ended up getting really, really bad anxiety. And as part of having bad anxiety, I remember thinking I just need to look after myself a bit better. It was nothing, nothing bad had happened per se. I think life just became too crazy and sleeping five hours a night and you know not eating properly not seeing the sun and the basics so I became really interested in well-being again which wasn't a word at that time so it's funny I mean what did you call it years. then well do you know what we didn't used to use the word well-being as much as we do now but we used to have lots of and this is way before I knew kind of that you really need to stick to one slogan for make to make a brand kind of really resonate with people we used to say lots of funny things, like in the inside of the boxes, I remember we used to say, be green, but always be glamorous, because we were about natural, mm. and we'd be like, we put loads of ditties on the inside of the boxes, which I like, can, you know, if you want to be calm, be, which is a famous Leo Tolstead, uh, and we hadn't really pulled the story together, so the story was very much about looking after yourself, and, you know, using essential oils which had, the brand had to be natural to use the essential oils because we couldn't use synthetic fragrances and still give the well-being benefits. It would have smelled nice, but it wouldn't have worked in that way. So it was very much about using these natural, quite complex blends of essential oils to help with these, with these modern malaises. We spoke about treatment candles. When we sold them into spas, I would go in and speak to the receptionist and say, you know, if you have women coming in and they're really stressed out, then when they're leaving, you can sell them one of these candles and there's sort of 30 calm treatments in the candle. So the story was there, but I suppose we hadn't really sharpened it. Yeah, you know? yeah, and yeah. Now, sort of know more about business. I would know starting with that mission early on would have been a lot easier for for us to kind of probably get the brand message out there sooner and quicker. And, yeah,
0: and, and, I, I can really see the evolution of the brand because the first time I um, I met Niam was my friend gave me a big candle with three wick, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. wicks and I thought it was the most luxurious thing ever. That was like 10 years ago. And then now like you've evolved into this like inclusive wellness brand. So tell me about that, you know, the early years and also how it evolved and how you pivoted the business.
1: Well, I think we didn't pivot as much as sort of sharpen it. Mm, Do do you know what I mean? I think that's really because I just had no experience. As I said, I was a journalist. I hadn't grown a brand before. I didn't, you know, I came from an entrepreneurial family. My my dad sold secondhand cars. I mean, beyond the sort of entrepreneurial go-getting spirit, you know, the business ideas that he had couldn't be further from what I've implemented now. So I just didn't know anything about growing a brand. And we didn't have the money when we launched we had fifteen pound my business partner oliver and i which we spent on stock we didn't have the money to bring in expertise so we literally just sort of nickel and dined it and 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 learn as we sort of felt our way yeah how did you do that because you got yeah. the business to a certain point right multi-millions yeah. of
0: pounds of revenue until uh, before you you know got a private equity come in
1: yeah i mean you know it's a funny one because we really did i've used the phrase before we sort of i feel like we walked up mount everest in flip-flops we were so unprepared and we made every mistake possible so we really genuinely learned from the mistakes that we made and um you know we have met some great people along the way and and people who've acted at at various stages as mentors and but for every piece of advice that was helpful as, as you know you might get one or two that not helpful as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. again, you're kind of constantly yeah. making those mistakes. I think a lot of it, in answer to your question, was sheer gumption, turning over stones and finding what the what yeah. the answer, to the story was it's always useful to look at other brands and see mm. what they're doing and pick it apart. And then, you know, even if it's like AstraZeneca, Mio jewellery brand, you know, why are you opening stores? What's the reason behind that? Yeah. What are you spending on them? How many pieces of stock have you got? Yeah, you know, yeah. how many times do you change yeah. those? And brand? I feel
0: like it's so important to look at other industries. Always. Not copy your competitor, totally. but go, go into other totally. industries and see what we can take yeah. from there. Because I always Absolutely. look at beauty. I don't look at any other jewellery
1: brands. Yeah, well, it's funny. Beauty was very late being uh, D2C. As a category, direct consumer, yeah. because um, because beauty is predominantly owned by the big conglomerates, yeah. and therefore they were in counter spaces, so they resisted, and the beauty industry as a whole resisted being a direct in consumer, um, you know, kind of jumping on the bandwagon. So we had to look at other industries mm. to figure out sort of how to do that. If you're building a business from the eyes of the customer then actually your customer's the same as my customer anyway. She's thinking the same, she's behaving the same, she's shopping the same. So, you know, it's as relevant to me as it would be looking at someone who's buying another... Yeah, exactly. Home, and
0: we know? have very similar ethos. So it's really yeah. like important to look at another brand that has similar ethos, not in the similar category per se.
1: Exactly. Because you're understanding the customer probably a lot better than when people say to me, as they always do, you know, in business meetings, who's your competitor set? I'm like, well, I'd be more likely that she would go out and she would spend £50 pounds in Mio that day than she would on another luxury candle brand. So that is your competitor set in that way. and And so, yeah, if you can think about got to stay in that customer's space haven't you so you so you know not just what products are going to resonate what problems that they have when you're developing products what strap lines are going to resonate that was a bonus of me not being in the industry because I was able to stay and still I'm able to stay in the customer's shoes as opposed to going that's such a good point
0: Yeah. yeah and going back to your early years what were the best advice you received and what were the worst advice you received
1: um The best advice I think I've received is just keep going. Mm. Because I think if you could just sort of almost inject something in your head, that's going to be true for everyone. It's going to, you know, you're going to like life. It's going to go like that. But just keep going. It's easier said than done, isn't it? And how
0: do you, I guess, like that must be deeply ingrained in you. Where do you think that comes from?
1: I think I don't. When I when I hear people start a business and they stop, they generally stop because of a problem that I see as just a sort of regular Tuesday morning issue, mm. and they saw as it didn't work because I don't know the collection didn't sell or we couldn't find a office. These are bad examples, but that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think oh I get that that would have been tricky, but it wouldn't have been a game change if it wouldn't have been a stop set game match yeah. the thing done. So I think it's that. It's kind of seeing those things as everything is sort of fixable. Everything is, get, you know, even if... I always thought we spent our original money on stock and I thought if it goes wrong and... Because um, all well, we could start with was candles, that's all we could afford. And people don't want candles, they want, uh, I don't know, uh, hand lotions first or something. We can sell the candles in a market and we go again with body lotions. Yeah. So that gives you an example, I suppose, of at that point, I think the majority of people would say, well, if that didn't work, then that's not worked. So I think you've just got to see those issues as, um, yeah, the problems and the pain. Yeah, yeah. I guess you've got to
0: be optimistic, but practical at the same
1: time. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think so. And people don't, I don't think people always grasp, like life has got ups and downs. And yeah. like days have got ups and downs. Businesses yeah. have got ups and downs. Yeah you're going to have, I don't know, 50% of the time is going to be a bit shitty because that's just the averages that we're all working to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So
1: you've kind of got to foresee that, I think. Mm. Where do you think that grit comes from? My dad, definitely. I think, you know, sort of very much in me from a child, that entrepreneurial sort of way of thinking. As I said, he's never been able to give me much practical advice because we're in such different industries and he doesn't understand that you know you spend money on branding and you know all the stuff (laughs) that you you do when you when you're creating a brand yeah he He, probably thinks it's very frivolous (laughs) it doesn't you know if it doesn't make sense on a very pure financial level Mm. you know you spend that and you get that and then he doesn't really understand that you know saying no to things you know going into cheaper or brand damaging outlets or whatever well a a deal's a deal a sale's a sale, You know, understanding brand and what you'd say no to is is, is a very different skill set. Yeah. But um, but I think that determination and that grit kind of comes. And it's funny, isn't it? My children now are thirteen and fifteen, and you think about that a lot. So you think about how do you teach your children? Not that I think I'd want them to necessarily do what I do, but. You teach but do they them do they want to be entrepreneurs? Well, no, my son wants to do something in sport because his dad does and he's very sporty and great at that. My daughter, um, oh, she's just in that annoying teenage phase at the moment where she's saying to me, she just wants to retire. That's what she wants to do.
0: <laughs> she's very wise. <laughs> That's what she wants to
1: do. Yeah, what do you want to do
0: you're older, Alexa?
1: I want to retire. Right. <laughs> my mum's like, she's winding you up, she's winding you up. Look, so years battering feminism into her. <laughs> she's like...
0: This episode is sponsored by Payhawk. Growing a business from a startup to a scale-up comes with many challenges. One way to solve this is to introduce effective systems at the right time. Payhawk, a corporate card and expenses management solution for scale-ups, have literally transformed many lives at Astrid and Mew since implementing earlier this year. To simplify, Payhawk combines company cards, reimbursable expenses, accounts payable and seamless accounting software integrations into a single product that can be used globally. In this episode, Nicola and I are discussing the importance of culture. In order to maintain a strong culture, back end of the business need to run smoothly. We save roughly one full day of three people finance teams time by using Payhawk every month. This means the team and myself can put more of our energy on driving the business forward.
1: So what's the biggest mistake you made along the way? Oh, God. Which one? When you hire people and they're not right. Because it just comes with you know too much too many levels of pain, doesn't yeah. it? You know, not just yeah. financial but you know culturally and mm. you feel guilty and uh you know it can come with an opportunity cost in many different directions and he, there's the times where I've lost a bit of faith in myself I think being an entrepreneur the optimism sometimes means that that runs to people you know I mean I've not gone this far but not far off you know oh we've got a new marketing director great where's she come from she's never done marketing before I've just sort of seen her outside and she said she was interested in marketing <laughs> and, you know she looks like you know she's got a great way of seeing that I mean you know I would be that yes yes positive yeah and
0: oh maybe I found some oh I'm the same I made yeah. so many mistakes I mean like yeah. I, I've made great hires that, yeah. like, who are still yeah. with me now but I also equally made pretty bad hires that were either not the right fit for us at that time yes. or you know not necessarily because they're bad because like they weren't the right fit I think you need to think yeah. about so many things in hiring don't you
1: yeah a couple of things I would definitely say is you've got to be truthful about what your own culture is and I think we just redid our culture pillars because we had five, which I can't even remember, and they were so catch y mm. They were nothing. Yeah. And I made them quite tough now. I thought, actually, the fact is we're quite a tough northern business. Mm. Let's be honest about yeah. that. I am kind of a roly sleeves up. People think because we're well-being, we're just, you know, three-hour lunches doing yoga. We're, not, we're actually yeah. a, 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 quite a... Go getting, roll your sleeves up, Northern. Yeah, I love that. So what are the three pillars? So one is um, be a good egg. Because I think actually as a person, I like people to be quite straight. And, you know, I think it says a lot if you're the person who brings in the chocolate biscuits on a Friday um, when everyone's feeling a bit down mm-hmm. or somebody can go to you and have a chat. So be a good egg is really important. Yeah, I, I like think that. question the status quo is a really important one Mm. because um, we are entrepreneurial. And as we were saying before, the worst conversation for me to have with someone is me to say, why have we done it that way? And they to say, oh, because that's how Jane did it before me. And they haven't thought constantly and they don't believe in what they're doing at that moment for themselves. Now, they may challenge it and I may say, I get where you're coming from, but we're doing it that way because X, Y, Z... But if someone's blindly just doing something like a kind of, you know, computer, then that's not right for us culturally. So sort of question everything and then be the difference. And what I mean by that is to kind of constantly push things forward and and make things um make put those little extra bits on things and again I think that's quite mm. entrepreneurial and and the reason why I think they're all important is we quite often can hire people from big corporations everyone says they like to work in a small organization naturally I've found in many interviews yeah. then when they get here they're yeah, not they don't aware. know what it means they don't know what it means so I make sure I say in an interview I'm going to tell you all the good things about working in a small business I'm going to tell you the bad things as well because you need to then decide whether that's right for you there may not be a blueprint. There may not be a job description. There may not be a way to do it. There may be nobody who has got a clue how to do it. You've got to constantly be thinking outside of the box. There's not a, a game plan that Jane did before you and Susan before that and Robert before that that you can you can just pick up on. It It's about creating things from scratch. And I think that works brilliantly for some people. And other people just flounder in that environment. And that's that's fine. It's so
0: interesting because it's so similar to the journey that we went through. Really? I had seven pillars that I can't even remember that I created. Yeah. And then we had a consultant come in who's our um, people director now. And she's defined them into three different values, interviewing every single person in the business. That's interesting. So, uh, And our values are so similar to yours. They're worded differently. So one is um, grow together. So like it means that. It, you need to have a growth mindset yeah. and you need to want to like push yourself yeah. constantly and figure things out yourself. And then second is celebrate each other. So that's very similar to be a good egg. So yeah. make sure you're uplifting yeah. each other and making positive change to the yeah. team. And then third is break boundaries. So
1: that's very similar to your like, second value as well.
0: Love that. Yeah, so similar.
1: Yeah, and I, it's funny, I have since I've done that, I've interviewed two people and they weren't, wrong, they weren't wrong and they weren't bad. But I thought they are not going to be the kind of person that can adhere to rules one or value one or value two it's helped me it's definitely helped me and it's helped senior people and that's only in the last kind of couple of months i think you've got to be very truthful about your culture to you and to the team yeah but you know hiring getting people the hires wrong and the other thing is i remember somebody saying to me oh we don't need to be able to we don't need to go out for a drink with them on a friday this is just people we're working with and i disagree with that i think even if they're very different people to you they've got a I don't know, they love model trainways and they're, you know, 20 years older or younger or whatever, then you you want to be able to want to go for a drink with them because you yeah. think they're a good egg. Yeah, you've got to connect yeah. with them. Yeah, You've got to want to help them yeah. to in order to work with them. Exactly. You've got to like each other. So I've been too late learning that, I think. But I mean, look, that's one mistake of... Literally 583. That's (laughs) another podcast. No, but it's funny that you
0: mentioned people because I would say the same. Like people mistakes
1: are the biggest mistakes Yeah, it's the most painful to resolve. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, it's painful for everybody else as well. It's not just... It creates always a bit of a disruption when everyone else is a bit paranoid. So, yeah, I just... People yeah. mistakes.
0: Yet, yet a lot of business studies that are about strategy and finance and operations, like, but people are the most important thing, and it's like deeply ingrained in every single
1: thing we yeah. do. Yeah. Well, if you're trying to break boundaries, the people have to be the number one thing because if they're not following, again, this might be very different if we were, you know, in a big corporation mm. or we were mm. in the army or something. In fact, someone was saying to me the other day. They don't look for growth mindset in a lot of businesses because actually that's not they. They want people to be constantly asking, "Is this adhering to the rules?" Mm. So, so that could that, be disruptive in a big business. I very guess. much so. So it's not. And again, I think so I think it's important to sort of know it's not the best or it's not the only way or the right way. It's just the way that's right for a business like ours that's high growth and. Still got that kind of entrepreneurial feel. And then when you know that, then picking the right people for the job. Yeah.
0: And going back to the advice in early years, what was the worst advice?
1: I think there's been lots of bits of advice, if I'm honest, about product and brand that have been good commercial bits of advice, but bad for the brand. And they're the hardest ones. To get wrong, what I mean by that is so it might make sense to have i don 't know a round all on for example, you know, like a big sticker on the side of of the product saying thirty percent off I, I, yeah i 've not done that, but i 'm just saying something like that. Of course, people would then see the thirty percent off and, and buy it, more, but your what your sort of the commercial tick is damaging the brand, and I think that 's a very obvious one, but there 's lots of subtle bits of commercial kind of things that you can do to make more sales that come at a cost to the brand. And I think making sure that that line is very, very clear is is a constant sort of battle because, you know, you might have a bad month and then you want to put things in sale and you want to therefore make the sale bigger or you want to, I don't know... Cut a product because it doesn't sell that well, but actually it's very important because it's part of telling a story over here. Or you want to get a listing in a supermarket because you could sell a fortune and, I don't know, they want to do some really lovely branding story, which will be great for them. But actually you then being seen in that down market supermarket. And these aren't specific things I've done wrong, but constantly you are when you're growing a brand, I think trying to balance those commercial yeah, decisions absolutely. with the brand decisions. And I've absolutely fallen foul of that many times mm. with something that's just gone a bit wrong. Um a look or a or a or a campaign or a listing or a something. And so protecting that brand is that's my job actually. That's that is my my yeah, own number absolutely. one KPI. So I I think that's when I've kicked myself a bit and gone oh mm. you, sort of, you got it slightly on the wrong side yeah of...
0: so how have you defined your commercial slash brand strategy now because when I first encountered Neom it was a uh, you know you were on net you were on in a lot of department stores now I see you more in your direct-to-consumer channel with your social and website and seven stores across the country yeah tell me about your strategy there
1: well we um It's sort of deliberately um, multi-channel strategy um, because we need to fundamentally be where the customer is. Um, And then there's guardrails around that, something that, you know, would be too down market or again, similarly, you know, we are not a a high-end luxury. We're sort of more high-end high high street. So there's guardrails around what's right from a brand point of view, Um, direct-to-consumer is always best because you can tell the story in the fullest way that's either obviously via your own stores or on your own website you can tell the story in the fullest way you can create for us regimes so really important that we we always try and sort of craft a inhale absorb boost uh, routine for people so we find out what their well-being need is um, in the store that'd be through a scent discovery test and then when they Found out what their wellbeing need is. Quite often, that's different to what they thought. We take them to the area. We find something that they can fill their home with. It might be a candle. It might be a pod. It might be a reed diffuser. That's up to you, dependent on what your personal choices, budget, etc. Then something to absorb. Something that's going directly on the skin. It might be a bath product. It might be a body product. Whatever. And then a boost, something small that they'll sort of take around and keep that wellbeing benefit going with. So we can tell that part of the brand story. Um, and find something that works for the customers obviously better in our direct-to-consumer um, channels. And, and of those, store is the ultimate best because, of course, you can touch, smell, and experience the products in the best sort of way. However, um, we I don't think we're going to have loads of stores. I find running the stores is quite difficult. Yeah,
0: it's finding, a completely different
1: ballgame. It's a different ballgame. Um, finding the right people, finding the right stores, you know, the cost for that... And again, I think because we started off with a bit of a mix, then that's kind of where where we've ended up. We always said that we want no customer to be more than 10 miles away from being able to experience Neon in a full sense. So I don't just mean a bit on a shelf, but is there a really great stockist there? And and on a map, we sort of made sure that that's all populated. Mm. And then the bigger towns have got their own stores. We will open some more stores, but um, it's about finding exactly where's the right sort of high footfall area with the right kind of brands. Clearly, the high street's gone through a few funny kind of years. Um, so it's finding the right place. So we will open a few more stores. But I think in the UK, the balance is is pretty good, actually. Yeah,
0: And the awareness is huge. Everyone knows Neom.
1: Yeah, do they? Yeah, I think so. Don't do they? you find this is funny? Because um, do you think I don't know? I still. Do you find with Astrodemia like when when you you say I own Astrodemia or or you talk about it in any capacity and people know it, you still yeah, go,
0: it's so surreal. And when I'm in the tube, yeah. like uh, I can obviously see the jewelry yeah. and it's clearly Astrodemia. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god, I, like, I want to go talk
1: to her. I, know. I found the funniest thing was when we were buying a house and I was on Right Move. And you'd, I'd see, like, a neon diffuser in someone's toilet. Aww. I was like, ah! and it, clearly you know how much leaves the warehouse. You know what you're selling, but still when you actually see it. And it actually it's funny because um, you very kindly gave me the pearl, that beautiful pearl necklace and bracelet. Well, my daughter stole it straight away <laughs> and took it on holiday with her. And then she's texting me back. The only thing that she texted me was how many people she'd met who said my mom, they can't believe that my mum knows The lady who owns Astrodomio. So I got like major points for the fact that. So you know. uh, And my mom owns neon. Oh no, that's totally irrelevant. Totally irrelevant. In fact, yeah, she still says it when it's you know the end of um, school and you've got to take the presents and choose oh. Why do we always have to take a neon candle? Can't we take like some chocolates like everyone else? Nobody wants, nobody wants you to take your neon in because she's so embarrassed. You know what I mean? <laughs> I sort of hear on the down low, I'm sort of I, I think she is a bit proud, but she's yeah, she's the most impressive thing at the moment is that I know you. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. When people know about the brand, it's still it's still a kind of little boost because I'm really bad at sort of taking a moment to celebrate or say yeah, well done. Us.
0: Yeah, because sometimes people are like, "Oh, like, uh, is it a pinch
1: meal moment?" Do you sometimes yeah. feel like, "Oh, wow!" And I'm yeah. like,
0: "No, I no. like, I kind of have my like head yeah. buried in the sand." Totally, I'm like.
1: <laughs> shit, these are the five things that yeah. go wrong. These are the five things that we yeah. need to do. And also, like, I'm always thinking about, like, yeah. what to do next. Exactly. Exactly. So I never do that. And I suppose that is a real shame. Mm. And, I, and I have to be mindful of that for the team because yeah, I think, absolutely. you know, they need me to say, well done, you, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I try, I try and do that a bit more because it's not my natural mm. way. I'm just yeah. kind of constantly, right, come on. These when things. did you
0: realize that? When when what? When did you realize that that's something that you need to do?
1: Do you know, sometimes I've caught myself like we just um, we launched this week magnesium a uh, bath milk and uh, the girls sent round the I was on holiday last week and they sent round the, the windows which look amazing what these giant big milk kind of bottles in the window and 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 they write round and then when something lovely happens they write it to the whole office so we can try and celebrate culturally and I write back the decal is too small and nobody can read it you know and then I'm like. You know that's so bad of me. eh? Exactly, exactly. But my thing is not to think. Yes, of course it's good. But you know that's wrong. And I still catch myself doing. And I don't mean anything bad by it. But uh, you know, it's just my natural inclination. It's like almost my job is to look out for all the little things that could be made better. Yeah. So I catch myself doing that quite a bit actually. When it comes, but it's good that you're aware of it, right?
0: Because I, I think, think the yeah. first time I found out, uh, I, I think all founders have the same kind of um, do you? personality traits, right? <laughs> um, I, I do like to stay positive, but sometimes like, I'm so like, bogged down with the details and the future and everything. I, um, I have an executive coach who also coaches my team. And during COVID, she used to also like, coach more junior members of the team. And she said to me during our session, oh, you know, like this person, she was so happy when you said something positive. And like I and
1: I think that was her way of suddenly telling me that I need to praise people more. Yeah, I think so. I think you don't realize how much of an impact you have on people, the good and the bad. Yeah, Because we're thinking like I'm thinking I'm just me. I'm just like little me. I can be very I'm very to the point and generally I'm having a laugh with people but I'm very straight and I find that's useful and helpful and I like that in other people because mm. it cuts to the, you know, straight to yeah. what we need to do and saves time so in me, to me that's kind of almost a love language between us <laughs> if you can just tell me it and we can do it um, and I'm really thick-skinned like that so I have to be mindful if I go into a meeting sometimes they'll replay back to me i will go, oh, remember when you came in and said blah 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 and I think, no just like me going in and going, to be honest, Connie, the chair's not quite right. You need to turn it that way. I wouldn't think anything yeah. bad of that, whereas people can take that a lot. Yeah, because it's also be your for position, me.
0: right? Because exactly. you have the ultimate power exactly. in the company, which you don't yeah. really realize. If it's you do that to your big. friends, it's fine. But if you do it like, yeah, in that well, I've setting. carefully
1: edited my friends to <laughs> so those who can take that. You know, I've got rid of everyone else who can't because it's too much of a stress. And I just, yeah, you're aware of yourself. You know, I'm 45, so you're aware of your own, you know, your own being, and 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 your life is created in that way. But yeah, you bring on somebody who's got some great skills in, but they're in, a, they're they're quite nervous, and and they don't interact with you that much, and. I would say that's probably my greatest watch out for sure. Mm. Let's go back to the early years because a lot of our followers
0: and listeners with the early, early stage founders. You you said you started the business with 15,000 pounds and then Mm. you ran it up to like, I I don't know, like a couple of like um, tens of millions of pounds of revenue, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what did you spend that
1: 15,000 pounds on initially? Stock. very stock. So I had a car that I'd got for my 21st, which I sold for £7,000. My business partner had some savings. We put them together and we spent almost, I'd say about 80% of it on stock. We started with candles, which I think is why we're so famously known for candles, um, even though actually we sell more pillow mists, double than we do candles now. Oh, that's we started, interesting, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, fascinating. But we... Um, I started with the candles. So we had a, I had a two-bedroom flat in Islington, and the second bedroom we made into a warehouse sort of space with all the stock. It smelled amazing, even from the street. And um, and then the other sort of remaining couple of thousand pounds we spent on a really, really basic website. And then we had a little bit in sort of reserves. And I remember the, the orders had come through. I was still working, obviously, at the start time because it was just a side hustle. Always say to somebody keep the day job until you get mm. you know, a few really good green lights that this is going to work so how long was it a side hustle oh you quit your uh, job do you know a year and a bit I'd yeah. say at Glamour I went down to four days a week and then I you know I'm, I was working seven days a week so i would be, be honest because that's what you had to do in the early days right so I did my four days to make the money at Glamour and then on the Friday and then the weekend I'd do neon and evenings as well um, and then we had the website, and then the orders would come through on an evening. And Oliver, my business partner, and I, we had a rule that if we sold more than four candles in a day, because they're a kilogram in weight, still are, so the big, heavy candles, then I was allowed to, from the very small pot of uh, cash, expense a taxi because it was then it was deemed too heavy for me to carry on the bus. If you know, so that was I think it was five was cut off. If it was under five, I had to struggle on on the bus with the with the candles. So that's how we ran it for yeah a year, and then we did a home gift show. You know, like a got a, got a stand in Harrogate actually, where we live. Tiny stand; it was two meter by a meter. Don't need anything bigger or fancier than that. And we had a queue of people. We were um, and they're great those sometimes because they're also great for sort of perfecting the sales pitch that works and you know how i was saying to you about we started with this story but don't think we'd really crafted the story it wasn't told in a way that we tell it now um and then i remember saying you know this is a can this is not a candle this is a treatment within a candle and i remember that sort of really resonating people really i got that i i like that i understand that how did you create that cue? did you invite people or like did
0: they how did you how did they hear about you
1: well, interesting, in, again, you learn so much about customer behaviour, I think, from those things. So success breeds success, right? So three people in a queue really is going to mean five or six people in a queue because suddenly people are interested. So I also learned the the importance of sort of creating some sort of a furor, mm-hmm. pulling in a few people because then other people would be interested. And as I said to you, we used to test out strap lines. I used to, in the early days, go down to Selfridges. And I remember thinking... What is going to resonate with people most? Um, is it going to be, um, have you ever smelt organic rose? Is it going to be this candle is going to help you sleep? Or is it is it you know this is the new luxury candle brand? I'm giving I can't remember what the exact three things are, but you stand there for a day and you test those three things and then you realise no one was interested in statement one but they were in statement too. I mean, you can do a lot of this online now, of course, but you couldn't then. So I learned a lot from those days and that interaction and which stories were resonating. They were all true. It wasn't, it was just, Neon's always been a big story and in a way that's brilliant for us, but in another way it's quite difficult because I can't get that across in 20 seconds in Selfridges when I'm not there. So we had to sort of test that story and see which bits really were resonating more than other bits so at the at the trade show we we learned to do that and um and i i, I knew what parts of the brand were the most interesting, and then we could really sort of go to town on explaining those benefits a bit more than others and then um when we had i think at the end of that gift show, we had sold twenty thousand pounds of the stock over the three days, and I felt that that was a green light enough, and that was across many different. Uh, a little independent stockist so again I also felt that several people had bought into us so I felt not just the monetary amount but the amount of people that understood my story and wanted to take us on was enough of a green light yeah for me. and that's huge yeah yeah for an early stage yes. brand. yeah and and then I just used to oh gosh I mean the the years where I would drive my mini and get you know, like a map out again you know this was a long time ago. We get the map out and go, right, OK, I'm going to do, do seven stockist visits in a day and go, and I've got tea with this person and this person, this person, and merchandise the stock and everything. So uh, we've built Neom up very slowly, brick by brick. People always think, don't they, that the brand's been going less time mm. than what they think. They don't see all of the work that goes behind it. We haven't had any major kind of growth spurts where you go, oh, that was the day we were made mm. or that was the thing that propelled us. It has been brick by brick yeah. by brick, slowly building it. I can see benefits for going v- or various different routes of growing a brand. I wouldn't necessarily say there is one that I totally believe in. I think everything comes at a price. Could have got it a lot bigger, a lot quicker if we took investment early. Wouldn't have owned it all. Could have brought in people who had better skills if I would took some more money and not had all the problems and the heartache, but then... You know would have given it away too soon possibly so i think the the journey comes with pros and cons you've got to it's a bit like choosing a husband or a house isn't it
0: yeah absolutely what was your thought process in bringing your investor on board
1: so we got to the stage where um i was 38 at the time and we'd got a few offers to buy it to, to sell the business and um and I just thought, you know, this is kind of what we've, we've done, what we set out to do. And we've got it to bigger than we wanted to, that we, than we'd sort of set out to. But if I sell it, what am I going to do at 38? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the office next door, restart something and ring all the old people and redo it again. And that's a fine option. But the other option is, if we take this money on, what does the journey look like and how much fun is it taking it from that size to that size? And again, you know, I could have sort of probably done either. But it has been really good fun, actually, taking it from, you know, the size of which private equity came in to where we are now. Um, I've loved it getting a bit bigger and me not being having to be as hands-on. Um, I've loved working with people and having the money to work with people who are better than me that's been really really fun and nice and it's great being able to do all the creative stuff at a brand that's a bigger size and all the other stuff so again it was a bit of a you know could have tossed the coin either way yeah there's
0: always pros and cons to everything right so you've totally. really got to be honest with yourself about yeah. what you need and exactly. want at, the, at a certain point in time exactly
1: yeah I don't think there's one right way Yeah, we did that. And then we've been with Piper for um, five years now. And I'm now at a stage of my life which is kind of, um, I don't know, let's just sort of see where it goes. Mm. Um, You know, clearly private equity do uh, cycles, so there'll be another event. It's really nice to be in a position where I can choose what I want to do. So that's the ultimate luxury for me. And I'm enjoying the job. As I say, I didn't, you know, there was times in those early days where it was ridiculously stressful and I didn't really, you know, learning the operations and dealing with manufacturers and I can't add up. Unlike you, I'm not good like that. So I'm
0: not good either. I've got a really good team.
1: Yeah, it's just, you know, having but having to learn those skills yeah. even a bit, you know, oh, I'm glad that I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah,
0: it's good to have awareness, right? So you can yes. hire other people and you can surround yourself with people that
1: are good at them. Yes, exactly. But it's a luxury now to be able to do the things that I want to do and I feel confident that I'm good at.
0: Oh, that's amazing. So, so what's yeah. on your
1: mind right now? Well, America is big for us, a big focus. It's a bit scary going back to the beginning again. You know, going out there and doing speeches, who's Neon and no one knowing? And you're like, oh my goodness. But that's fun. Um, And actually, now the children are a bit old. I don't mind travelling. When they were younger, I just didn't want to commit to that. So America is is fun. Um, We've got another store opening in October. And then we've just got a senior team who I think are really now, post-pandemic, which has been a bit rocky for everyone, I think, ready to really sort of push it on and just... Hit those numbers in the next kind of couple of years, um, UK and abroad. And really, sort of, I think owning our category, we've got so much brilliant product development coming up the next couple of years. I think we really do know exactly who our customer is and what she wants. The beauty of being around for a while is when you really understand how oh, that's going to work. I know people are going to love that. You know, I said magnesium bath milk, it's only launched this week. We knew it was going to fly out because we just know that is an absolute yeah. sweet spot. So I think that's really nice when you kind of, you know, it's, it's fun in the early days when you're going, oh, is this going to work or is it not? But it's even better when you're like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You
0: yeah. have a critical mass so you can analyze yeah, your data and exactly. also like, ask your customers. Exactly,
1: exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah.
0: So what's next for you personally and for Neon?
1: Well, for me personally, um, Do you know, I am just really trying to enjoy it now. I'm 45, and I think it's a a point where I'm ambitious still for Neon, but also I want to take a moment to smell the roses, you know, and to go, actually, this is lovely. It it might not be this way forever. I might not be involved forever. But this is this kind of, this is what I've worked for, to get it this size, that people understand it, that they know it, that they love it that I have a brilliant team, the very best that, you know, we can find and afford and, and I'm enjoying working with the people that we've got. And so I do really want to just enjoy the next couple of years and enjoy the travel, um, which, as I said before, beforehand always came with a real load of guilt when the children were little. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, my kids now, they don't, they don't even bat an eyelid if I, you know. Wow.
0: That's such a good place to be and I'm so envious.
1: But my, look my, again. Yeah. It's, it's funny, isn't it? With the sort of theme of this conversation has been pros and cons, and I suppose you know, it was hard when they were little, and I think actually a lot of women starting businesses that's one of the hardest elements. Did like, you
0: start Neon when you had kids? No, before. Yeah, same, same here. I don't think I could have done it while I had kids, but a lot of founders have started their businesses while like they were raising kids. I mean, which it's, is incredible.
1: It, it's nearly sent me around the twist many times. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I mean, I took. Barely any, it was like three weeks and four weeks maternity leave. I mean, totally wish I hadn't done that, but couldn't afford any other way. Yeah, yeah same here. We didn't have any maternity pay, you know, there was nothing. Um, my then husband and a teacher, we just I had to work through it. It was awful. And I think for 10 years, sort of very much sacrificed. Do you remember that famous Victoria Beckham quote? You can have a career. You can have a family. You can have a social life of your own. You can have, two, but choose two of three, not yeah. all three. Yeah. And I remember in those years being like, "Yeah, you're right." I mean, I just didn't go out with friends. You know, no girls. Nothing yeah, like unless that. you had like unlimited resources. Yeah. Right. Yeah. From the get go. Totally. So it was incredibly, incredibly hard. So I think I just feel like I've kind of come out of that. Children are a bit older, mm. and and. And so that's why I do want to enjoy yeah, it a bit yeah. more. And
0: having a strong team as well, right? Because you, you're at a scale now.
1: Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're better than me. You know, I'll I'll add bits and pieces, but there's an awful lot that comes through that I'll go, should we do this? And they go, and well, I think we should do X, Y, Z, because sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. There's nothing nicer than people being better than you, is Yeah, there? I completely agree. Love it. It really frees you. Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's sort of that old feeling oh, don't, don't challenge Nate because you know she she's she the founder and, and I was like my god no if somebody says something to me n- never think yeah, that because as a we founder, don't have the full context on the day to no. day
0: execution they're the ones like no. making the best decisions exactly. because they have all the information
1: totally always challenge challenge everything
0: yes break boundaries <laughs> be a good egg <laughs> Celebrate each other. (laughs) Love it, love it, love it. One final question. What's one
1: advice you'd give an early stage founder? I would say, don't think you've got to reinvent the wheel. I speak to people and they come up with very complex business ideas or product ideas. We're so busy and actually in many ways, I think quite rightly so, we're moving towards wanting less. So trying to create an idea of something that I didn't know I needed, I think can really be a challenge so we're always going to need chairs dresses rugs jewelry you know etc just do what has been proven that people need and want but do it better yeah. so I'd always my dad always used to said to me don't feel you need to reinvent the wheel I think that's important there's categories that need overhauling everywhere and then the other thing I'd do I'd say is the second biggest thing I think a lot of people get wrong is keep it really really simple it's great to have the ambition as I did as I'm sure you did of having a great you know well-being empire or a huge jewelry empire but if you start with a real hero product or story or offering it's a lot easier I find to get that message out there because you've got to say a people haven't got much time and they're busy and they're not interested so don't think that they will be take your rose glasses off and and think if you have got three seconds to say something it needs to be one brilliant product that people get and understand really really quickly rather than a big whole story. And that will then also save you time and get that cut through so much easier. Yeah, I completely agree. Such good advice.
0: Thank you so much, Nicola. That was so inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow the podcast wherever you're listening or watching. You can follow me at Connie Nam, Astrid and Mew at Astrid and Mew, and Unboxed Instagram page at Unboxed underscore Founder Confidential. See you next week.